0: It'll be easier to get from 100 to a billion than it was to get from, frankly, zero to one, you know, or even zero to $1,000 is the hardest, right? and then I think each order of magnitude gets a bit easier if you stay with it, but it's, uh, I'd say, years of grinding, and then you know, eventually we figured out the flywheel, and it started spinning.
1: Hey, everyone. Welcome back to the SaaS Revolution Show, brought to you by SaaStock, the conference that helps SaaS companies get traction, growth, and scale. I'm your host, Alex Thuma. And I'll be looking at what it really takes to build and grow a SaaS company today and how founders and entrepreneurs stay healthy on the journey. Now on with the show. All right, welcome to the SaaS Revolution Show. I'm your host, Alex Zuma. Uh, delighted to be joined today uh, by, I would say, a, lo- a longtime friend in the, in the SaaS industry. Uh, he's the CEO of uh, G2, founder of G2, multiple uh, SaaS businesses in the past. Uh, welcome to the show, Goddard Abel.
0: Yeah, great to be here with you, Alex.
1: Good to have you on the uh, uh, on the podcast again. I was just saying, I think it's the first time I'm classically interviewing you. We've had you before with Jacko, and we've published a couple of your talks from Doc, Uh and, and then I thought, well, actually, we've not uh, had a you know this kind of one to one conversation on the podcast, so I'm, I'm really kind of looking forward to it. Uh, and uh, uh, God, I, I guess I always kind of start, uh, um, you know, by asking who. The guest is, um, and I'm, I'm not going to break the tradition. So uh, please tell the audience listening today, you know, who is Gordard Abel?
0: Yeah, so I'm a SaaS entrepreneur. been building SaaS companies for 25 years and exited two. You know, the first one, Big Machines, Oracle, became Oracle CPU Cloud. Then we built Steelbrick, which became the Salesforce CPQ and the Salesforce revenue cloud. And now I'm building G2 and g2 we're really aiming to build the trusted place you go for software when we started we called it yelp for business software and now it's really become the trusted source of data and insight on SaaS, on software and so really excited to be here with you alex and love the community you're building around the world all around SaaS. Yep.
1: no i appreciate it and uh, where are you, are you in boulder today because i know that you i think during covid you moved to boulder you're still still there
0: Yes, that's where my home office is. And uh, obviously fun to get back on the road. Like it was great to be with you and the Sasstock community in Austin. I'm going to go see you in Dublin. But when I'm in my office now, yeah, a lot of times in uh, Boulder here. Great place to be.
1: And uh, outside of building G2 uh, with Boulder and I think what, what's uh, available to you, any hobbies like, uh, you know, hiking, snowboarding, mountain biking, anything like that?
0: Yeah, no, I love being out in the mountains. Actually, this weekend I'm doing what's called a triple bypass, Okay.
1: It's a, <laughs> like uh, yeah.
0: it's going over three mountain passes. And, uh, but I do, you know, I, I do find it very therapeutic to get outdoors, you know, do workouts. Uh, I think great. But one of the best ways to take, take your mind off work and you know, feel better.
1: Definitely. Yeah. No, I think, um, I know you gave a brief explanation there of, of what G2 is and I'm, I'm, you know, I'm 90% confident that everybody listening, uh, you know, knows who G2 is. Um, But tell us about like, I guess, kind of like G2 today, right? I think, uh, and some of the things in terms of the business, um, uh, as I understand, you know, you passed 100 million ARR, you know, probably, I think some time ago, it was probably some point sort of last year. Um, Tell us about who you are today, where you are, what's the size of the business, you you know, where are you going? Where do you want to take this?
0: Yeah. And G2, you know, the overall vision is to be the trusted place you go for software, and our number one mission is to really help software buyers discover and quickly vet and buy the best SaaS apps out there. And, you know, when we started the company just over 10 years ago, there really were no trusted software reviews. And it was really hard for software buyers to discover the right apps. And our bet, I think a lot like yours with SaaS stock was that software is going to eat the world. And Mark Andreessen said that, you know, about a decade ago when we were starting G2. And I think he was right. And sometimes I like to say G2 is the buffet. You know, the buffet of SaaS and of software. And what's cool today on G2, there's over 100,000 different SaaS apps and cloud services listed. And there's over 2,000 categories of SaaS. And what's amazing, I remember when we started, we just did CRM, yeah, you know, because the first two companies I built were CPQ companies, which were always tied into CRM and CRM partners. And so we used CRM to prove the G2 model, but now it's just amazing there's over 2,000 categories. And obviously some of them over the years that have emerged, you know, like conversational intelligence or robotic process automation, you know, we're also proud. I think G2 helps launch those new categories. And then obviously leaders, you know, like Gong, Chorus, or in robotic process automation, UiPath, Automation Anywhere, they emerge, they emerge in the market. And G2 really helps accelerate, you know, those innovative SaaS apps to get out there. And it all starts with helping a software buyer discover them. And then, you know, we do believe, and I think also Gartner says this, you know, 80 to 90% of the buying decision now of a SaaS buyer is made online. They're doing their own research and they all know what happens when you submit that lead form. You know, and obviously the software vendor, we love that, but, you know, but they're not ready yet for SDR, BDR sales conversation. So they shop quietly, they do research. And we're really proud now there's, you know, eight to nine million software buyers every month researching SaaS apps on G2 and uh And so our vision is coming to life, but I'd also say we still have a long way to go. You know, it's a very dynamic industry we're in. And I think one of the things we're most excited about now is AI and we've added all these new AI categories, obviously LLMs, but also categories like vector databases. And like myself, I didn't even know what a vector database was a few months ago, but now it's become this key enabling software for all LLMs, for all AI and G2 now, you know, we're quickly spinning up categories, adding those technologies, so we can capture reviews and help buyers sort it out. And we're applying our AI ourselves. And you know, we've launched an AI Monty, which is really a conversational AI-driven interface for the software buyer. And uh, you know, so we do feel like we're just getting started and excited for this new age of AI.
1: Yeah, no, definitely. I mean, you, you mentioned uh, Mark Andreessen, uh, who had the, the famous uh, blo- uh, blog and quote, "The software's going to eat the world." I think his his new one was, uh, "AI is going to save the world." Uh, uh, do you, do you share that sentiment?
0: I am an optimist and I did read, you know, Mark's blog, AI is going to save the world. And and I think there are a lot of valid ethical concerns, but I'm also, you know, as a software entrepreneur, I tend to be an optimist and I do think all technology, you know, whether software or otherwise it can be used for good or for evil. And, uh, and I think Mark points out all the applications for good, you know, certainly in areas like education, medicine, and I think maybe also in our world of SaaS, right? I think it just make all our apps better. And, uh, you know, because I think most software interfaces now that you see AI and it's, I think about chat GPT is so popular because it's just like, you know, you're just talking to the computer. It's a human conversation and most software is still pretty rigid, you know, and even like CRM systems like Salesforce. And as I mentioned, yeah, I worked at Salesforce a bit. They bought Steelbrick or the way we bought steel, built Steelbrick. It's all like this forms and workflow based software which I think most SaaS apps are today. And that's very useful, you know, because you get a global database, you get better business processes, but for the user, it's always a bad experience. You know, like what sales rep loves to up- update their opportunity and fill in their 20 required med fields. I've never met a sales rep that loves that. And I think now the future is gonna be, you know, the, they can just have a conversation with the AI, you know, whether it's typing. And I also think now voice, voice to text with AI is getting so good. You know, AI transcription, like, you know, obviously tools like Gong and Cores, and we use it to record all our sales calls. I think probably most people do today. But also, I think it can, you know, soon you'll be able to talk to the software and talk to our G2 Monty. And so I think it's really going to change, you know, almost all software apps and really for the better of the user Because I think it'll just be a much more natural human conversational experience now where you talk to the software and the software goes and finds the information and the software just asks you, hey, do you need to update this opportunity, Alex? You know, I see you haven't updated in two months. And by the way, I noticed there were six emails. Looks like it's heating up. Would you like me to just move it up to 80 percent? And I think it's going to be that kind of natural experience that, you know, we can all deliver. So I think it's, uh, you know, it's very exciting for the future of SaaS.
1: And in a moment, um, we're going to talk about and ask about um, how you've adopted AI and, you know, start to sort of reimagine G2 and some of that, you know, you, you've you shared a few sort of like tidbits there. Um, but instead of the, the the present and the future, uh, I just want to talk a little bit about the past in terms of you getting to that hundred million mark. Uh, and maybe if you can share, and I'm sure there are so many, but, you you know, a few kind of like key lessons. How do you build G2 to get to a hundred million, you know, what are some of the key steps that you did to, to, to get to that figure?
0: And I think entrepreneurship is always very incremental and I know Alex, you're also an entrepreneur, you know, what I always tell people, I think it does get easier, you know, where I think the hardest dollar of revenue is a first dollar. Uh, and I remember at G2, I think it took us, you know, well over a year. And actually my co-founder, Tim Handorf, you know, he said he wouldn't get a haircut. Until we generated revenue, and he started looking like Jesus, and uh, you know, it wasn't a good look for him. He's an Iowa farm kid, and uh, you know, because and I think the first dollar of revenue I have, we generated, we, honestly, when we started G two, like we had this vision, like we're going to make software buying better, and we're going to create this Yelp like site. But honestly, we didn't know how we were going to make money, and we were lucky because you know we already had one exit. We'd sold Big Machines first, fifty one percent to private equity, then to Oracle, so we were able to use some of that money to self fund. Because honestly, also at the beginning, most VCs I went to, they thought GT was a bad idea, you know, because they were like, huh? Like, this isn't just another SaaS company. We don't get the business model. How are you going to make money? And I honestly didn't have a very good answer. And, uh, and secondly, they were also skeptical that, you know, this whole consumer review model would work in B2B. And uh, so we actually self-funded. We got a little bit of friends and family, but I think the two million, first two million was almost all our own money. And because you know, we kind of had to figure out, one, would the model work? And so even before generating revenue, we we built CRM, we had to get enough reviews, we had enough software buyers shopping for CRM software so we could start to monetize. And the first sale was actually a CRM, today what we call a grid report. And because at the beginning we're like, well, maybe we can get buyers to kind of download premium content uh, to help them buy the best CRM software. But I think we quickly realized that's kind of a bad business model. Yeah, because who wants to pay for a downloaded report and even more broadly in hindsight's kind of obvious who wants to pay for information on the Internet? Really no one, you know, and I think even like going way back and yeah, I still grew up like going to school in 1980s and we had like Encyclopedia Britannica, you know, that was the best knowledge resource before the Internet. Right. And they could sell those for thousands of dollars, like a beautiful bound book. Um, and then obviously Wikipedia came along, right. And information's free. And I think largely is on the internet. So we also realized, Hey, that's what the modern software buyer wants. You know, they don't, they certainly don't want paywalls. They don't want stuff gated. They want information freely available so they can do their research, make their buying decisions. So we kind of realized we pivoted and said, Hey, the best way to monetize is via the the software vendor, the software marketer. So once we discovered in categories like CRM software, once we had a lot of CRM software buyers coming then there were vendors and i remember our first vendor customer was a uk-based crm uh, software vendor and actually a small one that wasn't yet in the u.s market because frankly like the Salesforce of the world they already had validation and the company was called workbooks and they were like wow this is amazing and they seized on g2 early they got lots of customer reviews we validated they were a high performer and they were like could we license your content yeah, you know, could we use this in our own campaigns? Because we don't want to send people to G2.com because, you know, they'll see all our competitors. We're like, wow, that's a good idea. You know, so then we kind of worked with marketers and developed that business model. But I think it took us like probably then like two or three years just to get to a million, you know, ARR. Um, <clears throat> and then, and I think this is what most SaaS entrepreneurs find out. Well. So if I'm a first company, like that first million is by far the hardest. Right. And then the, the marketplace started getting momentum. And I think about it took us about five years to get to 10 million. And that was also when the VCs all of a sudden got excited. You know, we were probably at five or six million before we got our real first institutional VC, which was Excel. And then Excel actually came to us inbound because they started saying, hey, we're seeing G2 in all our SaaS entrepreneur pitches. And we think what you guys are doing is really cool. We think this could be big. And we're like, wow, amazing. And so we did partner with them. You know, they led our first institutional round. And then at that point, like the flywheel started spinning. And honestly, then like... You know, I think when I invested, we were maybe at five or six. And, and then I think we just kind of started scaling organically where we had the basic flywheel, which was get reviews in a category, get the buyer traffic. So we've always invested a ton in SEO and content, both technical SEO and content, the core content being reviews. But also we discovered, you know, we hired a research team that writes blogs, writes learn content around a category like CRM, a lot of like the HubSpot inbound playbook, if you will, but for a marketplace. And, you know, and then we realized if we develop these marketing solutions that allow software vendor marketers to better reach our audience, we developed a buyer intent product so they could target all the buyers. We allowed them to use the content, you know, just like I described workbooks, where they want to use our grids, our reviews and our own marketing campaigns. And we kept working with the marketers. And then the flywheel started going and we grew it now to over 2000 categories. Now we have over 3000 software vendor customers. And, uh, but like I said, I think zero to one was by far the hardest one to 10. I think we sort of figured out the flywheel and then honestly, then for a while it, until probably until 2021, it felt kind of easy, you know, like then we quickly got to 50 and, and obviously right now it's getting harder again, you know, cause we're, we're, you know, we're just over that, you know, just right around just over that hundred. And right now it is harder, you know, growth rate has slowed down a lot, you know, because we mainly serve. SaaS and and our you know, as we know for so many founders entrepreneurs companies it's harder to raise funding, and frankly even the big vendors like Salesforce they're all shifting to profitability now, right? And uh, so and, and you know providing a solution to software marketers it's it's harder right now, you know. And I think that's the thing with entrepreneurship like just when you think you figured it out it gets harder again. But I'm still optimistic, you know. Now the next thing for us well eventually I want to get to a billion in ARR, and I still think it'll be easier. It'll be easier to get from 10 to a billion hundred to a billion than it was to get from frankly zero to one, you know, or even zero to a thousand dollars is the hardest, right? And then I think each order of magnitude gets a bit easier, you know, if you if you stay with it. And uh so that's that's kind of a, a very long answer, but it's uh I'd say years of grinding and then you know, eventually we figured out the flywheel and it started spinning.
1: Yeah. Well, congrats. Uh obviously no easy feat. Uh I mean, for any entrepreneur, first of all, to get your first customers to get to the first million. But to get to 100 million, uh, I don't know what the percentage is, but, you, you know, it's probably 0.04% of entrepreneurs or businesses going to make it. So congrats to that. And I'm sure you'll get to get to the billion mark. And actually, obviously, now what you're doing, you, you know, with AI and thinking about the, the present and the future will, will, I'm sure, in some way play a big part in that. So uh, let, let, let's, let's jump into that uh, then. And uh, so I think it probably, I don't know if it was like October last year, uh, you, you know, open AI, um you, you know, uh, came out. I think like with chat GPT version three or four, it, it started to kind of blow up. Everybody started to use it, realize you know, the power of this tool. Was that very similar with you? Or like, you know, how did you sort of realize uh, and or, or somebody in the business realized that, you know, G2 needed to incorporate AI? You know, was it a similar timeline?
0: Um, yeah, I think once I saw it, yeah, I think probably like the rest of the world and, I remember there were all those graphs, right? it went from zero to like a hundred million users, I don't know, in like days. Yeah. Um, and then I, yeah, I tried it probably like everyone else. And I think then my co-founders, you know, Tim, Mike and myself, like, we're just like, wow, this is so natural for G2, you know, because we're kind of an information data website and the problem, frankly, with websites like ours, it's kind of a traditional taxonomy, if you will. You know, so you sort of have to know what you're shopping for. Like you have to know, hey, I'm looking for CRM software, marketing automation software. In fact, it gets much more complicated right now. Like there used to be ABM, but now there's like account based orchestration. Mm-hmm. And just within ABM, there's like 20 categories. And the reality is most business people, software buyers, they don't know like our industry taxonomy, right? And, and so we just, once we saw the ChatGPD and we were like, wow, this is perfect for guiding a software buyer with a conversation. And frankly, I think what's exciting about adding an AI interface to G2 that we call Monty is that you can just start with a business problem. You know, like Alex, you could just be like, hey, I have a sales forecasting problem. And then Monty will ask you, hey, what industry are you in? And you you can say, hey, I'm a tech entrepreneur. And then we ask you, how many sales reps do you have? And, you know, and then based on your answers, we can dial it in what we tap into both. And we're building on top of OpenAI. And the beauty of that, you know, you get their LLM, you get their interface that's trained on the whole internet, maybe two years old, and then what we're doing, we're injecting the G two data. We're also building an OpenAI plugin, but then you know, you get the best of both, where you get the OpenAI LLM trained on all the knowledge of mankind, at least you know up till two years ago that's on the internet, and then we inject the G two review data, the G two insights on top of it, and we're training Monty specifically for software buying use cases. And you can, I just encourage you all to try it. Uh, it's still an alpha, but, uh, and you can give Monty feedback. That's the beauty of it. You know, you just talk to Monty and, uh, but Monty now guides you. It might say, Hey, by the way, Alex, did you know there's a sales forecasting category? And did you know there's vendors, let's say like Clary and here's your reviews. And, you know, and here's also a bunch of alternatives. And, and you can just talk to Monty and dial in, you know, the, the right software for you. And it already works amazingly well. And we were amazed when we first launched it, I think it was like in March, like even V1, like how well it already worked. And now we're really tuning it. And I think we're especially excited. You know, we're aiming to soon launch a G2 Monty plugin on the OpenAI plugin store. And, you know, we keep training it every day and uh so we yeah, it's just amazing how quickly and then frankly for years we tried to buy it like build our own like software selectors Mm -hmm. and frankly they were always crappy you know we're like uh these recommendations are probably only 60 to 70 percent good and all of a sudden with LLMs now you know we think we can make it over 90 percent good and accurate
1: very cool and and, uh, i guess one trivial question and one important question and maybe the trivial one is not trivial so uh, but so i'm just curious to know why did you call it monty uh, and then the other question is, and maybe it's obvious, like why did you partner with OpenAI? Because there, there are now obviously are quite a few competitors like coming out. So, uh, and again, this is not a plug for OpenAI, but just trying to understand your rationale and thinking as to to why them.
0: Yeah, and uh, I think first why Monty, and Monty is our G two mascot, and actually based right. on a mongoose. And our yeah. co founder Mark had created Monty a few years ago, and we also have a big Monty like that walks around. <laughs> it was like sastock so it's a fun friendly character and so we just kind of thought it was natural now you know uh we're we're putting intelligence into monty and he's just a a fun character that he was
1: always intelligent maybe
0: (laughs) well yeah now but now he's got
1: yeah
0: Yeah. (laughs) hopefully soon agi right uh and uh and it was actually funny at our last all hands meeting tim my co-founder interviewed me and like asked me to make software recommendations and then had monty do it and honestly monty crushed me (laughs) And I like to think, you know, I've been in SaaS 25 years and you know I've talked to hundreds, yeah. but honestly, I, I just don't remember that well. You know? <laughs> I think he used like an ESG stuff for example, and honestly, I just like my brain got foggy and I'm <laughs> like, I couldn't remember the leading product, you know, and Monty just crushed it. So yeah, I think Monty's already getting smarter, at least on software buying and software data, than any human. So that that that's exciting and fun. Um, and then why open AI? You know, I think, well, frankly, we just wanted to go fast. And I think there's even more options today than there were three or four months ago. And honestly, I don't know. Is that going to be the right choice in two or three years? Honestly, I don't know. Um, but we just said, hey, let's. And they also honestly, they have they have good terms and they do have, I think, you know, good APIs and even the legal terms, I think are were important to us. But our general counsel, Eunice, has also been working with their general counsel. But we do believe we can trust that the data we inject will remain ours. Whereas frankly, like we looked at some of the, the Google terms, at least to us, they weren't as clear yet. You know, So I think that's also something everyone needs to assess is can you keep your own IP, can you keep your data? And we, we do believe the OpenAI terms you know, make that clear and we, we, we trust that that will be the case because that is a risk, right? Even for G2, for anyone, anyone running an information website, like because if people only go to ChatGPT or BARD, you know, uh, and they don't come to a website like ours anymore, like there, there's a risk there. And that's also why we want to stay ahead of it. Right. And we have to create yeah. we have to make sure Monty's better than just generic chat GPT or generic BART for this one use case. You know, so but but we figured we had to jump in fast and uh, and we're still learning every day, you know, uh, and, and who knows, like I said, that may change. It reminds me a little bit of like when the Internet. I remember this like in the 90s. You know, I was just graduating in MIT when like Netscape first launched the first web browser. And, you know, and then obviously Microsoft reacted with internet Explorer and then eventually Mozilla Firefox, but like, and same thing with search engines, right? There were a bunch ink me and there were all a bunch of them, frankly, before Google. Yeah. And so it reminds me of those very early internet days where you know, no one really knows who's going to be the winner in five or 10 years, but I think you just got to jump in start innovating and, and learn, you know, with the industry.
1: So, in terms of, obviously, uh, as you described, you you move very fast I- into this um, uh, for the reasons that you sort of mentioned. and and also previously you talked about the current like the, the majority of the SaaS user experience is this kind of workflows um, that uh, that most uh, SaaS companies kind of adopt. Now, with uh, AI, ChatGPT, et cetera, we're seeing you know perhaps a better user experience. Uh, do you think that um, all SaaS companies or the majority of SaaS companies should be looking at this? Uh, and should be looking at their products and looking at bringing in this element of AI in, in some way, uh, as you have done? Because, um, I, I mean, again, I don't know in terms of the, the, the financials and the commercials and the resources that you need it. And obviously, you've got your, your startups and you, you know, the bigger companies like yourselves. But those that are listening, you know, what should they be doing, thinking about AI with their products right now? What's your advice to them?
0: I, I do think for most SaaS vendors, I would recommend you know, quickly adopting AI, because I do think this, you know, conversational AI driven interface will just be a better software interface. Mm -hmm. And not to mention, it's just better at going and fetching data than search ever would be, you know, like in a CRM use case, hey, how do I find the right account record? And, you know, so I do think it's just such a better user experience. And especially, I think most of us, you know, in the SaaS stock communities, we're the innovators, we're the disruptors. So I do think, you know, we have to seize the technology faster and better than the big incumbents. And even, you know, obviously the, the big software industry leaders like Salesforce right there, they've announced all of their, like their Slack GPT, their Einstein GPT. So frankly, I think the big vendors are doing it too. Yeah. And uh, so, and I also think for startups, though, we may have the advantage, we can reimagine our interface more, you know, because obviously as a legacy, all legacy providers and the big incumbents, they have to be more careful And I think we can experiment faster. And honestly, I don't think it takes a ton of resources. And like my co-founder, Mike Wheeler, our CTO, who's building Monty, he's also, and he's obviously a great traditional programmer, but he's like, this is totally different. Because, you know, he actually instructs Monty just with words. There's like a code wrapper we build around Monty, but most of the, it's also a different form of programming. You know, it's also a little bit more art than science, and it's just this fascinating new field. But I also think most startup entrepreneur CTOs will love it. You know, most of you are probably already trying it, but it's it is pretty easy to start experimenting, start learning, and uh, so I, I would encourage you know almost everyone to do it. Obviously, there's some use cases it might not be a good fit, but uh, but I do think it's a key area in which to start learning, start experimenting, and start delivering a better user experience.
1: Uh, Agree. And uh, you'd also mentioned I mean, prior to this that you're currently streamlining and reimagining internal processes. Is this also sort of with the I or is this kind of uh, separate? And what's your hope for outcome?
0: Yeah. And we are building, for example, also a sales Monty. And the idea is that most of the basic questions, and as I mentioned, we have over 3,000 customers, you know, marketers Mm -hmm. and software vendors. And frankly, sales Monty, we're also training on our Gong Calls because we do find, probably like most companies, most of the FAQs, right? And traditionally you enable your reps, right? Everyone creates enablement and you're like, hey, here's the 50 most common questions, learn them. Um, and frankly, the AI can learn those really fast. And so I think that's, you know, and also for customer support, customer success use cases, we've also injected all of our documentation. And frankly, we just spent the last two or three years greatly updating our documentation. One of our team members, Tim Silver, does that. And frankly, like anyone else, I right, turned turn into like thousands of online pages. But the problem with traditional documentation is like you have to know like, hey, I need chapter 12, page 358 to find that nugget of knowledge you need at that moment. And again, AI, I think, is just a much better interface also for documentation. So we're really excited to create a sales customer success, Monty, that can just answer our prospects and customers questions in real time. And then sales can get involved later you know, when they're they need or are ready for human assistance. And we also think in SMB, you know, Monty may be able to just close the deal um, and go all the way. You know, and we think the modern software buyer a lot of times prefers that. Mm-hmm. Obviously, sometimes you need that expert from the vendor, but sometimes you're like, hey, just answer my questions. And then once I'm satisfied, it's a good solution for me. Like, tell me the price and just let me buy, you know. So we do think, again, a conversational AI interface for B2B commerce is also very promising for G two and uh, and now so we're kind of and what's interesting each of those flavors of Monty right now is trained on a different vector database you know with different unique data we're injecting but now we're going to create like a meta Monty that can also figure out you know which which Monty do you need Alex right are you buying software right now are you a marketer that wants to you know better position themselves on G two are you an existing customer and then yeah but we're training Monty and I think everyone can do this. Especially for the sales use case, you probably have Gong course, you have recordings, you have your conversation somewhere, you have your FAQs, we have our documentation. So I think, and honestly, this stuff, what's exciting, I don't think it's that hard to do. You know, you don't need that many resources. You do, I think you just need some very entrepreneurial, innovative thinkers and people that like to try stuff and learn fast. And to me, that's how most startups are built. You know, like you have people like that. so, So I think it's, yeah, it's super promising for those internal and customer support, you know, sales support use cases as well
1: very cool very cool well I, I i like the sound of what you're doing there and uh looking forward to seeing that and experiencing it and uh, and also seeing monty walk around sassock in, uh, in in dublin in october yes monty um,
0: will uh, <laughs> will be there and now he he monty is becoming sentient as i like to say <laughs> yeah, with
1: AI. yeah. We, we should actually maybe we should have on stage uh goddard versus monty and uh, oh. uh sas trivia but see uh see that well, would i mean be it's, fun yeah.
0: although it was it was humbling <laughs> yeah,
1: yeah you know, exactly like monty we've got to be careful uh,
0: Monty knows, he knows everything that, yeah, he has a whole world of, you know, he has a whole database of software, every every data point we have in G2, and there's like billions of data points, he has it all
1: acceptable,
0: right my brain is much foggier.
1: Yeah, I mean, I'm sure the answer is Monty would win, but not necessarily with you. But the, my uh, another thought was like, we we could have like a quiz. Uh, on stage where people could challenge Monty, you know, into like SAS questions and there's a prize, but I, I get if it, It's like uh, humans playing or Gary Kasparov's playing deep blue or whatever it was, the, uh, the, the, chess. So we'll, 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 we'll see, we can work on it, but um, I'm going to move into the, uh, the quick fire round um, uh, now Godard. So uh, what one thing has moved the needle the most for you in your career?
0: I think I would say conscious leadership and uh, you know, specifically I started working with conscious leadership coaches about 15 years ago towards the end of my journey of big machines. And I do think it's made me a better leader and a happier human.
1: How would you uh, surmise conscious leadership for those that don't know what that is?
0: Yes, the core principle of conscious leadership is becoming more self-aware or they call it leading and living from an above the line place. And uh, when I'm above the line, you know, I can be creative. I can be a good positive coach and challenger to my team. Whereas when I'm below the line, for me, that tends to be I'm angry and, you know, I'm kind of probably too aggressive. And you know, rather than challenging people in a positive way, I might be you know, belittling them or you know, not making them feel good, which ultimately reduces their ability to create and reduces their energy. And so it's this idea of how can I be live my life more above the line from a more self-aware, conscious place which in fact, what I've also learned, then I just feel better in the moment. You know, I enjoy the experience more at work or with my family yeah. if I'm above the line. Whereas if I'm below the line, I'm righteous, I'm angry, I feel sad, I feel tired. So it's really, to me, it unlocks more energy and more creativity you know, for myself and the people I'm working with. And, and those of you like to learn more, I mean, they have a great free community website, conscious.is, conscious is. And uh, encourage you all to check it out, because for me, it's been just a real game
1: changer. Thanks for sharing that. And what's the best advice you've ever received? Hmm.
0: And it's probably more like contra advice, maybe advice I gave myself, because I think when I first started as an entrepreneur way back in 2000, I honestly, I I think I spent like the first three years really maybe listening to advice too much. And I had some great board members, right? And I think this is typical for young entrepreneurs where you're kind of like, I don't know what I'm doing, I'm going to listen... My board, my investors, my advisors, but then, and I think that's good to listen. But at the end of the day, I also learned like you got to follow your own informed intuition. And uh, frankly, like three years into my first company, I was almost failing, and you know, we were heading towards bankruptcy. Burned through like 19 of 20 million of money we raised the first year, and had nothing to show for it. And then I was kind of like, hmm, like it's good to listen to people. But at the end of the day, as an entrepreneur, I found like really also listening to my own informed intuition, and you know, kind of following my heart and my gut. Um, actually led to a lot more success than kind of trying to you know, please everyone else, listen to everyone else. Um, and so I, I do recommend that to most entrepreneurs. Like, yes, listen to others. But at the end of the day, you know your own business better than anyone else. You know your customers better. And frankly, I also thought if I'm going to fail, I'd rather fail like having tried to do what I really believe in, you know? And I'm like, so, you know, and if in another year I'm done, at least I will have followed what I believe was the right path. And honestly, from then, like, the business started working better.
1: Good, um, good counter advice or good advice on that. Uh, I, I actually recently heard that. I can't remember who said that, um, but uh, their advice was: look, like, nobody knows the better uh, business better than you. You know, so you should often, you know, trust your gut. And uh, I, it, it resonated with the crowd of entrepreneurs that were in the audience there, and it was almost like an awakening. We're like, oh, they're right. We know the business best. We, we need to. Trust our gut, uh, more often than we do, uh, uh, for sure. Uh, what about the hardest thing about being a CEO?
0: I'd say, like right now, you know, like in the past year, we have we've gone behind plan, you know, and then that always feels like heavy to me. Like I feel sad and I get mad at myself, you know. Like, yeah, cause I think the last year, and obviously, there's always good external reasons, like marketing spend mm-hmm. and tech always really showed down, but like it's still the emotionally, I feel like I'm failing, and uh, I feel like those times, it's always. It can be emotionally draining, right? If you internalize all of that and just beat yourself up, because then I feel like, oh, I'm failing myself. I'm failing my investors, my team, because you know, I'm not growing as fast as I'd planned. And so that always, I think those are to me the rough patches in entrepreneurship. And being a CEO is like, and I think every CEO I've ever met, you know, even like my entrepreneur idol is like, yeah, I don't pick someone like Mark Benioff, right? I think every CEO goes through that. You don't crush every quarter. And then I think those times when you're failing, when you're missing plan, like finding, you know, tapping into your own resilience, finding the energy to continue, because probably at those times your team needs you more than ever. But I feel like that's, that's the hardest part of the CEO job, right? At the end of the day, you're accountable for everything and, and you got to keep leading forward even when, you know, when, when you feel like maybe you're failing and you're not getting it done, you still have to find your own energy and resilience so you can keep leading forward you know, even when, when the outcomes aren't coming the way you want.
1: I know you're a big reader. Many founders are, uh, not all, but many are. Um, What book are you currently reading or the last book that you read that you would recommend?
0: Um, Actually, I just finished a biography on Warren Miller, which many of you might not know, but he's the original kind of created the outdoor movie ski industry. Okay. And, uh, but also fascinating entrepreneur, obviously very different and very interesting life, you know, where he kind of was like, a ski bum. And then he discovered this was like way back in the fifties. He was the first guy to start making ski movies. And then over like 50 years built a whole interesting business. And I love outdoors. I love skiing. And so I, I do love reading entrepreneur biographies and the uh, Warren Miller's is, uh, you know, the most recent.
1: Yeah. I, uh, <clears throat> I always think I should read more, uh, biographies or autobiographies and I'm uh, always leaning towards the business books, but my upcoming holiday, um, I'm going to try and not read any business books, uh, but I'm sure I'll get s- some learnings that I can Apply to business, whatever it is that I read. Um, so coming to the end of the show now, Goddard, um, you will be back, uh, at Sassock in Dublin, um, in October. So de- delighted for that. I'm not sure how many Sassocks you've done now, but it's a lot. Um, and, um, uh, but in a good way, I mean that. And, and so I'm really looking forward to, uh, being back with you in, in, in Dublin for those that maybe, uh, haven't been like, what's a couple of your, like your favorite things either about, you know, Dublin or, or, or Sasso, and sort of reasons why, and uh, yeah, what are you looking forward to?
0: Yeah and I I do love coming to to SaaS talk in Dublin and uh, I think it's you know there's thousands of SaaS entrepreneurs and SaaS leaders and I do feel like they're my brethren you know I think Alex you and I've also developed a bond right but I think especially as like SaaS entrepreneurs like it does feel like you know it's kind of a special natural community and bond and then you know sharing what I've learned what I'm learning yeah you know, is always uh, is always wonderful and uh, I always walk away feeling more energized because yeah, especially right now, for many of us, it's a tough, you know, maybe struggle. It's hard to raise money. It's, you know, so it's a, it's a tougher time. And I always get a lot of energy just meeting fellow entrepreneurs and, you know, learning, sharing best practices, sharing tips. And I think we all walk away more energized and you know, more excited to, to keep building.
1: Yeah, no, 100%. I appreciate you sharing that um, and uh, very much looking forward to it. Well, Goddard, uh, I uh, will see you in October. I appreciate you coming on the podcast, sharing uh, you know exciting things that you're doing with AI. Um, wishing you a, a great summer in Colorado and wherever you may be uh, vacationing, uh, if, if you are. But uh, we'll see you in Dublin, uh, 16th to the 18th of October. Goddard A, we'll see you at G2.
0: Thank you, Alex, and good luck with your holiday in uh, Ibatha. I, uh, yeah, I hope it all works out and you enjoy it.
1: Thanks for tuning in to this week's episode of the SaaS Revolution Show. I hope you enjoyed it. And if you learned something from it, check out sasdoc.com forward slash events to find all the upcoming SaaS Stock conferences around the world. Want exclusive SaaS content and actionable insights to grow your SaaS? Join our community of over 36,000 SaaS founders at sasdoc.com.